when I think of air, I think of um, it's it's not what you see, it's how you receive. And that could be through ceremony, that could be through radio, that could be through a television, that could be through uh, an iPad. Air has magic. When I was growing up, we actually had radio. We didn't. I didn't have electricity in my house till I was about four. And we had radio and a TV with one channel, fuzzy TV with one channel. And sometimes you had to go up on the roof in the snow, make sure you didn't slip off, and just aim it toward Dawson Creek to get the best, uh, you know, reception. When I think of the word voice, I think of truth. I think of story. I think of um, ancestors. I think of our connection. To, the, to, to this this country, to this history, and how um, our voice will never be silenced. Uh, it's important for me to, as an Indigenous journalist, there's a comfort level when I go out into a community. The first five or ten minutes when I'm there, they see that I'm Native, and they all, oh, you know, get the Indian head nod, and, and, and there's a comfort level there at the beginning for the first five minutes. After that, I'm a journalist. The CBC is supposed to reflect the values and the, the, the norms of the day, and, and it should reflect the voices of the day, and and because people in this country turn to it for that, I think we have to be on it. We have to be there. Indians on the airwaves, talking about Indians on the airwaves. Whether we've taken time to acknowledge it or not, we all have a personal relationship with radio. And that relationship has changed and evolved as much as the medium of radio has. Within our Native communities, we've taken that relationship in all the necessary quirky and contemporary ways we define it and shaped radio to fit our unique Native needs. We hear from five voices of Native Radio, Native Communication Inc.'s CEO David McLeod, Cree TV host and musician Art Napoleon, CBC and NCI radio host Rosanna Deerchild, comedian and podcast mogul Ryan McMahon, and CBC and Ashnabe news reporter Duncan McHugh. They share the importance of the Native voice on radio and its effects on our culture today. You know, radio played um, such an important role in terms of the community. What I remember most, um, particularly about growing up in northern Manitoba, was that uh, NCI, uh, when I was a kid, was was a place where you can hear uh, Indigenous artists. So you turn on the radio... And you'd hear a famous artist uh, for uh, Johnny Cash. And then after that song, you'd hear another uh, artist, like, say, from Cross Lake, um, Ernest Munias. And that is what I particularly remembered was thinking, uh, wow, uh, Ernest is a star. Or uh, Seaweed, Errol Ranville would come on, and, I, and I'd think, he's a star. And then you'd meet them, and, and I would be totally blown away by uh, meeting them as, as a kid. Um, and I think that's what really... Um, really shone a light on is that we have talent within our community and it deserves uh, a place on the radio. It deserves to be heard. It deserves the attention. And um, that's that's something that really stuck with me. Well, Native Radio um, has always served the purpose of communication. I remember, you know, hearing messages being sent out to the trap lines, those guys on the trap line about weather and, and what's happening back home 
home and, and shout outs of bingo and, you know, and hey, Mildred, pick up some milk on the way home. Baby needs pampers, you know, that kind of thing. It was all very down home community, grassroots stuff. And it's still that way, except, you know, we've become, we have, we have a better technology now and we have more stories to tell and more stories to share. So it's become more um, a storytelling medium than it than a communication tool like it was back you know when I was a kid we had a little antenna for the radio on a big teepee pole and on clear nights you could pick up stations that were further away back home on the res in Moberly Lake BC so we could pick up stations from exotic places like Peace River Alberta and Edmonton <laughs> it was always probably 60 percent country and 40 percent rock and mild rock and pop well radio uh from my earliest memories of radio uh revolve around uh, hockey night in canada but also uh being at the lake fishing uh hunting um it was kind of this was back this was before ipods it was before uh mp3 players it was before the cd uh we had uh either a little radio or a tape player with a radio and uh even in the day of tape players, not you didn't have 500 tapes. You had a few tapes, and you'd get sick of the few tapes, so you'd throw on the you'd throw on the radio. And I guess what when I think back to my earliest um, contact with radio is. Uh, I just always love that your community or your voice felt reflected um, in it, in that something about local radio gives you a sense of belonging. Um, it gives you a sense of um, home. And when I think about sort of my first contact with radio, that's what I think about. Manitoba local radio stars like Ernest Monias, songs were sent out to homes and lodges across the backcountry. The need to report Native stories by Native voices increased, thus creating the Native Perspective News with our own cultural nuances. I was at law school um, and freelancing all the way through law school. Uh, I went in to do a, uh, a rant, really, uh, when the Delgamook decision came out. Uh, the day that came out, I went in to do a two-minute rant, and, and afterwards a producer came up to me and said, have you ever thought about being a reporter? And I hadn't, really, at that point. point. I, I didn't have any training in news reporting. Um, I, I was a, a student journalist, but, but that's it. For me, uh, the CBC was a, was a happy accident. And, and I, I, I sat down with the senior producer and I said, I, I knew I was going to be the only native reporter. And I said, I, I don't want to be your token Indian. Uh, the first year there, you know, I, I, I wanted to prove myself as a reporter. Uh, and so I said, listen, I want to do budget stories. If there's a car crash, I'll go do that, you know. Uh, but, but my, you know, we all draw our story ideas from the things that surround us. And for me, that was Aboriginal community. And so my pitches, story pitches were always, you know, about Native issues. And so I started doing 
more native reporting. But for me, it was important that in that first year, at least, that first and second year, that, that I could I, I prove to everybody in the newsroom that I could do the job no matter what you gave me. Give me something at 10 o'clock, I'll be out and I'll have it on the air that night. And and so once that once once I had that base level of trust with my newsroom, then it started to frustrate me that we weren't seeing Aboriginal content on the air. And so then I became much more vocal about making sure that not only me was reporting Aboriginal issues, but, but that other reporters in our newsroom were reporting Aboriginal issues too. I think what, um, you know, the first thing to talk about is, uh, well, NCI itself is, you know, we, we went through that era where there was the electronic um, smoke signals or or the electronic uh, moccasin telegraph, if, if you will, and, uh, and it still very much exists today where people want to uh, hear news and activities going on at a community level. And I think languages is, are, are very, very important, and that's something we uh, certainly value at NCI. We have Cree and Ojibwe language programming, and the uh, you know language itself is, uh, you know, uh, carries culture. So it's not so much um, preserving the language. Uh, it's about keeping the languages alive and, and communicating in those languages, which, is, which I think what radio does so well. There was one song that I ever heard, and it was like a, a more of a regional little hit, and it was a, it was a a song from the Caribbean or something that was translated into Cree. I don't even know who did it, but it was the only time I ever heard Cree songs on the radio. Well, you know, language is key. It's key to everything. It's key to our cultural survival. It's key to our identity. It's key to our laws. It's key to our politics. It's key to our leadership. It's key to all of our traditional institutions. Without that, we'll never be able to interpret what those really are. It'll always be filtered through the lens of the English worldview and the English language. I regret that I didn't slow down and get input. I have a, I have access to elders and fluent speakers. All I have to do is give them a call. When I get stuck, I have that. I'm so lucky to have that. Some of them are getting really old. I'm not going to have that forever. But I didn't slow down and do it because I was in a hurry to make this, so I'm a little bit embarrassed. Uh, when real fluent speakers hear that, they, they know that it's some of it is improper Cree. Then there's also the struggle of in English, like Pocahontas, for instance, by Neil Young. He's, he's using a lot of metaphors. Some of those metaphors don't translate well. So, I, you know... If the Cree listeners knew that I was using metaphors, they might uh, they might be forgiving. But if you took some of those and played them for an elder, they may not get it. My approach to radio, I don't know if I can, you know, observe what's been done, but I'll tell you what I do. I like to have an authentic voice as much as I possibly can. I think that as Indigenous people, it's really critical and important for us to 
take back our own narrative, to tell our stories the way we want them to be told in truth and in history and rooted in this land. And that's not always, you know, we're not always able to do that in mainstream because it all has to be choppy chop in 30 seconds and fit into the little square. You know what I mean? I think that what we do is we try to bring that circle back in, or at least what I try to do in my broadcasting is to bring the as authentic a voice as I can and keep that context and keep that history and that and that language and that the language within the language, if you know what I mean. Not in my area. A lot of that came later in life and it came from places like Alberta and Saskatchewan and nowadays you can pick those up on online so you're able to hear even hockey games broadcast in the language. It's kind of neat. I think what I Don't Know More showed us was that the world did want to hear about us. They did want to hear from us. They wanted to hear about who we were. Um, they wanted. They want to know what's happening now. And if you look at our statistics or our, our um, our analytics. Our audience is worldwide. You know, there are people downloading our shows in Poland and Japan and Australia and, um, you know, all, all over the planet. And so when you start to think about that, you really kind of key in on a couple of important things that the, the very system that we're supposed to all buy into, you know, with the, the CRTC and broadcasters and licenses, these types of things are actually restrictive, you know. Um, and I say, I say that respectfully. I mean, I respect, the, I work in the industry, but it's not going to, it doesn't represent us. It can't help us. I think distinctly making it our own is, um, it's a combination of the two. I think mainstream has been a really huge influence. Uh, it's being creative and looking at the mainstream and saying, okay, this is what people expect and want, but how can we turn this around and indigenize it, uh, if I can use that term? Because there's, um, you know, um, I think traditional culture on storytelling. I remember visiting an elder and he said, I can, I'm going to share a story with you, but it's going to take three days. And you're going to have to, you know, uh, visit me each day for several hours where a radio program might be, well, we have to get this within an hour or half hour. So I think right there, our understanding of time and uh, is different in a traditional aspect. And and I think that we we have to learn to take that legend that would have taken three days. Now we're shortening it down. We're changing it actually from what it was. So, uh, and it depends what kind of legend it is. So I think there, um, there, there's, you have to know the basics before you go in. And, um, but I do think, um, radio is effective, um, to get those messages out because it is cost effective. It's immediate. Um, you know, you can have a $12 radio and listen to us. Uh, you can be driving your, uh, Somebody could be driving a new Lexus and be listening to us as well at the same time. So I think that's the beauty of what we do. It reaches it reaches um, everybody. But um, in terms of um, making that program um, indigenizing it, I think is it's it's about doing your homework beforehand. It's who you're talking to, and it's um, recording it and respectfully understanding it as well. I think, uh, and then that will take you to that place where where that should be. I look at publishing a, a new show, and then within 24 hours, I look at the statistics, and I see that it's been downloaded 300 times from uh, Europe. Uh, I get excited, you know, because um, we're still alive, and we're, we're letting people know that, so it's, it's exciting. I think that's the most important thing is that, you know, unapologetically, we're being who we are, and, and that's what we have to do, you know. I, I, 
I, I want my daughters to feel proud. I, I, I want them to feel empowered. I want them to feel uh, good about being Anishinaabe Kwe. And, um, and they will if they feel like they're being reflected uh, in the media they consume. And I grew up not being reflected in the media that I consumed. I know the frustration. I know the disappointment. I just, if I can do anything, if I ever, uh, if I could be as pretentious as to say leave a legacy, that would be it, is that we, I just focused on contemporary stories or I told old, old stories in new ways. The story is a constant in the culture and on the airwaves. Where there is Indigenous voice, there is story. Through radio, we are not just reporting the facts, no. In fact, some of our earliest and best storytellers are the singers and songwriters, our poets and playwrights. We have influenced contemporary mainstream music in the past, and we continue to do so today breaking new ground and building new musical territories where we stand, live, work, and dance. I would record in between songs and kind of say, you know, uh, I, <laughs> when I hear Bon Jovi's Bed of Roses, uh, I really think of that time we walked through the park. Well, I, I think uh, a lot of indigenous music, the, is, the, the whole scene itself, first of all, is growing immensely. And I, I think technology has a lot to do with that. I think accessibility to uh, home studios that, that really are very capable of uh, recording very professionally, I think has brought... Uh, um, the reality of recording um, to um, to the masses within the indigenous community. So, you know, now now we, we were at, we were at a period where we had our top top twenty countdown, then we went top thirty, and now we're top forty, and that is reflective over the last I'd say uh, at least 15, 16 years of the amount of music that's being received. Tribe called Red Man. I mean. What they are doing is so, so, so amazing, and and like, uh, like it gives me shivers just thinking about them because they are so groundbreaking and and like around the world now. And those three guys, and they're just, they are they are so down to earth about what they're doing right now. And I can't imagine everything that's on their plate. So I went and saw a tribe called Red show at, at the Commodore, and it was just a it was past my bedtime. <laughs> but but you know to see what they're doing right now is is just so very 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 cool. <laughs> when you say airwaves, I say what? No, I don't know. Just gonna break out in a rap there, and then I remembered I don't know how to rap. <laughs> I think communication, when you say communication, I think it has to be two ways. There has to be um, um, a telling, a receiving, but also going back, 
uh, and I think that's true communication. And it might be two, it might be three, it might be four, five hundred people. But but I think there needs to be uh, sharing. Sharing is an important word when it comes to communication, and and, uh, and preferably from the heart, and uh, preferably preferably that's very true. But I think at, at the end of the day, what I what I think about is I, I'm probably making it for my kids. You know, I'm probably making it for the next generation that's that's coming up. When I think about Red Man Laughing, um, my podcast, it's in now in season four. We just cracked a hundred thousand downloads, and um, we have closer to um, a quarter of a million streams and over a hundred hours of content there with a worldwide audience. Now, when I think about, you know, three or four years from now, when my kids in high school writing a paper about Idle No More, she'll be able to go back and hear from Chief Isidore Day, Pam Palmiter, people that were there at the the steps of the legislative assembly when they tried to break into the, the House of Commons. They were there. And we talked to them two hours after and we and we podcasted it. And so they give us a political perspective, um, a grounded and, and solid political perspective that comes from the meeting where they decided to to storm the, the buildings. You know, the podcast was recorded live in Ottawa during Chief Spence's hunger strike. As the internet and Wi-Fi and, and connectivity continues to grow, if you can imagine that, um, these things will only become more, more accessible. And so there are more smart-enabled devices on the planet than there are people. And when you think about that, you know, there's 9 billion people on the planet. There are more connected devices in people's hands, in people's homes. And um, I, I, I don't know how that changes, but I do know that we're going to be there uh, every step of the way. And I do know that we are on the front end of this change right now. And uh, whenever I use the word podcast, people go, I don't have an iPod. I can't listen. But um, so we are teaching people about this technology. We are teaching people about how to consume it, it's, you know, um, and what's really cool, I, I forget the elder um, that said this, but the uh, one of my favorite quotes of all time was, um, uh, traditionally, we were a contemporary peoples. And the idea that we always adapted, we always changed, we always picked up the tools of the day. Um, and we did so by choice, and we did so to survive. I think the future of Native Radio is... Uh it's interesting right now. I mean, if you look at the population, um, you know, the, the, it's getting younger and younger as time goes by. So I think there's going to be uh, people ad- adapting to what younger people are looking for. So what we're seeing right now is we have to air a program, but we also have to make it available online. We also have to uh, promote that program or the content through social media. So we, we have to look at different ways of getting it out there. And I think that's going to expand. You know, I think that uh, people programming their time at, uh, oh, my show's on at 7 o'clock, I better turn on the radio. I think those days are, you know, kind of um, fading away. And with the advent of, um, you know, uh, people in your car, internet radio in your car, that's where things are going as well. But I do think what we have is, is people are going to search out their culture, they're going to search out their language, they're going to search out their community, and they want to connect. That's not going away. And I think if it's radio or if it's online or if it's social media, I think that's what people want. And I, and I don't foresee that 
going away in the future. In fact, I think it's going to build. I think young people are going to want to know more about themselves and have an opportunity to find a lot more than they did, say, 20, 30 years ago. Do you know that the most powerful man is me? A very heartfelt Nyawe, Hachika Megwich goes out to our knowledgeable and dedicated contributors. Under the Indian Act, I control everything in your life. NCI CEO David McLeod. I control everything in your life. CBC Aboriginal Unreserved host Rosanna Deerchild. Do you know that the most powerful man is me? CBC journalist and reporter Duncan McHugh. Under the Indian Act, I control everything in your life. Indian and cowboy podcaster and comedian Ryan McMahon. I control everything in your life. Cree musician and TV host Art Napoleon. Everything in your life. My name is Janet Rogers and I'm passionate about Native Radio. Thanks for listening. The most powerful man is me. I control everything in your life. It's all over now, but the crying. <laughs> it's all over now. Ah, uh, let's see what would that be. We are finished now. Indians on the Airwaves is a documentary series made possible by CFUV FM and the CRFC Radio Meters Fund. We hope you enjoyed this episode titled Native Radio. What is it?